Hey, everybody, coming up on the Matt Townsend Show today, life is a long journey, right? Well, one, you know, where you got to be trying to figure out how to balance your life and be happy and all of these things. One question for you. Is the road to happiness a selfless one or is it actually a selfish one? We're talking about it up next right after the news with the selfless Sam McCall. This is Sam McCall for BYU Radio News. The Cleveland home where Ariel Castro held captive three women for over a decade was demolished this morning by the city while one of the victims watched. Rubble and remains from the building are being trucked to an undisclosed landfill where they will be pulverized. President Obama will not be headed to Russia for a summit with President Vladimir Putin. After all, the Obama administration called off the meeting after Russian authorities refused to send NSA leaker Edward Snowden back to the U.S. on top of Russia's continuing support for Syrian President Bashir Assad. A lawyer for accused Fort Hood shooter Major Nadal Hassan's standby legal team says Hassan is trying to get himself sentenced to death. Hassan is representing himself in his court-martial and yesterday told the court he is the shooter who killed 13 and wounded dozens more in 2009. U.S. naval officials announced plans to scrap a nuclear-powered submarine today rather than spend $700 million on repairs after an arsonist damaged the vessel last year. The USS Miami was scheduled to run for at least another decade, but across-the-board budget cuts make the repairs too costly. A U.S. Airways flight had to make an emergency landing in Philadelphia today after authorities learned of an unspecified threat. Police officials screened the plane, passengers and luggage, but thankfully did not find anything. In world news, political turmoil in Egypt is entering a new phase as international mediation collapses. Army-installed officials and Muslim Brotherhood leaders are once again calling their supporters into the streets, with military leaders reviving threats to take action against supporters of former President Mohamed Morsi. The company responsible for the train which exploded last month in Quebec, killing 47 people, is filing for bankruptcy. Nearly 150 years old, Montreal, Maine and Atlantic Railway filed for Chapter 11 protection today, facing over $10 million in debt. That's the news to the top of the hour. For BYU Radio, I'm Sam McCall. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm your host, Dr. Matt Townsend, your guide on the side, your friend to no end, your pal. That was new. I'm making up a bunch right now. Keep going. Don't you mess my you mess me up. <laughs> your pal with a gal, gal, and three other guys. Your buddy made out of putty. This isn't working. That one, I kind of... Yeah, know. I think it was working until the gal with a pal and three friends. <laughs> yeah, that, you know, uh, maybe we ought to produce that better. Maybe, instead of actually, you know, producing a show, we should think uh, rhymes with yeah. what you, could, you are. We, I think we could rhyme it up with some serious rhymage. Is rhymage the word? Yeah, let's Today go with that. it is. Today we're making up stuff on the show. Welcome to the program. Today is a doozy. We're going to have a doozy of a show because we're going to try to figure out how you really create happiness. Here's the scenario. I have a client talking to me uh, while we're coaching. Their marriage is falling apart. He's done. He's done. 
he it's not it's not working for him. He's checked out. Checked out. It's he wants to be happy. And I'm like, and so he wants to be done. So I say, so being done would make you happy. Well, no, I I want her to be happy. So I'm going to leave so she can be happy. And I'm like, well, I turned to her. Would that make you happy if he leaves? And she's like, no. Well, apparently, if you're going to make her happy, you need to stay. Well, but see that? Ah, it's just not working for me. It doesn't make me happy. You know, I notice a theme in that little. I'm going to keep going. I got it's more. Me, me, me. It's me. a lot of me, and it's a lot of happy. So he's going for happy, which makes sense. Who doesn't want to be happy? And then I'm like, well, so what about your family? Well, they'll be happier. And I'm like, they'll be happier without you? They'll be happy with you one night a week and every other weekend per the state guidelines of the door, the divorce? And he's like, well, no, that won't be great. But, you know, you got to be happy. Okay. I hate that word now. Me no like happy. Me hate happy. What's the deal? So are we supposed to be happy or are we supposed to be miserable with our family is basically his His conundrum. His conundrum. (laughs) So am I supposed to be happy alone and with my new friend or am I supposed to be miserable with these people? That I've committed my life to and, you know, half of them come from my jeans. Or plan C. He could be miserable alone. Interesting. But we don't like to go there. So here's what we're going to talk about today. Happiness. Where does it come from? Is happiness a selfish endeavor to go be happy? Or is it a selfless endeavor? And we don't have to dichotomize. Really, we're going to find out today. Happiness actually comes from really good social relationships. So his problem, he's just running, I think, from the wrong thing. He thinks he'll be happier without his family and all of these, his wife and all these problems. The reality is he's taking it all with him because he's messed up. Shooting straight. You with me? I'm on board. You on board, Merritt? Totally. Because you're the gal pal. You're the pa- you're the gal. What was it? The We're pa- rhyming again. This is dangerous. Because I'm the me- I'm the pal with the gal and three guys. Yeah, I didn't like that one. <laughs> nah. He's the host with a side of toast. See, I thought you were gonna go with most, which would have yeah, been bad. Most would have been actually really good. <laughs> He's the host Compared with the to most toast. toast from the West Coast. Oh goodness. Yeah, let's not do that. Um, let's just give that up. So, Merritt. <laughs> Happy. Is it selfish? Because I, I know a lot of moms out there that like won't go work out because you know what? I'm, I'm, I want to be a good mom. I don't have time to take care of myself. So I'm just going to – I mean happiness is not what – it's not what it's about. Yeah, they're going to sacrifice every amount of personal time to do the dishes and make their children themed lunches and – Themed lunches sound great, by the way. paint their bedrooms yeah. and drive them to and fro. Yeah. But that's because they, they'll give up their happiness. And they always say this, I, it's not about me. But then they kind of are mad yeah, and but frustrated. but happy. Ain't nobody happy. Yeah. And, and kids are only a part of your life. Like, they're not yeah, forever. Just, this yeah. has always been something that's confused me. I've always wanted to be a mother, kind of with a whole bunch of fear mixed into that. But well, yeah. It's... Well, you know what you need is a little dabble of guilt. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> 
Yeah. And so, so yes, I want to be a mother alongside that. Is, there's a healthy amount of fear mm-hmm. going with that. But it's something I, you know, I aspire it's to in thing. the future. But I've always been confused by those who think they can only be a mother. Yeah. And I think that's a very sad thing. Because first of all, you're saying only a mother. That's like only a mother, just a mother. Yeah, I'm going to throw mother? that down in the yeah. trash. Just an 18 year project. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, you should see how it starts. Yeah, and the second of all, you're like, is that all you're capable of? Is that going to take up every, like, what happens when your kids move out eventually and you have at least, you know, I mean, no. let's say they take up part of your day, but what you have What happens if they don't move part. out? What and if they never worse. move out? Yeah. What if they just keep moving in around <laughs> you and, ah. Yeah. Yeah. And th- there are people who are really good investing, but their time and, and strength into motherhood being stay-at-home moms. Yeah. But with that, you have to take care of yourself. That's And if you look at this, some people say, if I take care of myself, then I'm being selfish. No, because kids can feed on your emotions. They're emotionally intuitive. And that is, that is a, happy is being healthy, right? Yeah, definitely. So if you are exhausted all the time, you're not going to treat, you know. No, but I'm exhausted for the kids. I know, and then you're going to yell at them when they do something. That's right. <laughs> Someone rub mama's feet. See, that's not healthy either. Yeah. It's an interesting little conundrum. Whoa, this guy, this guy just woke up. Uh, conundrum, the word of the day. <laughs> Is that what woke you up, Sky? Yeah, try to rhyme that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I wasn't asleep. I was just resting my head. Can you adjust your headset <laughs> so you don't look like Princess Leia? Because that's really bothering me. <laughs> oh, that was weird. Okay, Princess Leia with, you know, 80s bangs. Um, so here we're talking today about happiness, okay? Because we all want to be happy, but it seems like some of the people that are in this incredible search for happiness seem to be the most miserable, right? Yeah, yeah, it's true. And, I mean, studies show that the more you focus on being happy, the less happy you're going to be. That I think is we've weird. talked about that on the yeah. show before. Wrap it's, your brain around that yeah. one. Like the more you focus on being tired, the more tired you are. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I think it's like I'm going to focus on being happy. And so every time you're not happy, you notice it like 10 times more. Oh, I'm so miserable. Which is a really bad idea. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's good advice. Yeah. Well, but, and you know, and the negative changes. always looks worse. So. Well, and, and it changes because if I'm if I'm 30, I just want I just know that if I get a job, I'll be happy. Yeah. Well, here's some interesting research. Yeah. Let's hear about this. So when you're young, your happiness, the, the happiness that you are trying to achieve mm-hmm. is this kind of high energy um higher energy happiness you're like trying to you're looking through the future you're trying to look for the ideal in everything that you do yes as you grow older that shifts into keeping what you have already yeah making sure that that doesn't go (laughs) yeah hips still moving so there's some interesting things um they call it you you they make a shift from promotion motivation so seeing what we can gain through happiness to prevention motivation <laughs> see <laughs> trying to keep the bad stuff away oh that's right so not so one is to get as much as you can and the other is to just not die keep what you have yeah <laughs> okay yeah and um so that was a study done from northwestern university and it was published in their journal psychology and aging but then um this article i read cited another set of studies um done by psychologist cassie mogliner and she 
analyzed 12 million personal blogs. Holy cow. And she went through Boring. and analyzed. She, she tried to find the words that people use. So okay. younger bloggers, when they described happiness, they would also use words like excited or ecstatic or Fun. psyched. Yeah, or, psych punk. Yeah. Awesome. Whereas older bloggers would associate happiness with words like peaceful or calm hmm. or relaxed. Really? Yeah. Interesting. So one is kind of energy up and one is energy down. Yeah. So you're happy when you're pumped, excited, amped. Yeah, I can see that because the older I get, the less amped I really want to be because <laughs> you got to come down off that amp. Know what I mean? You're thinking of your guitar amp. I'm talking about a different amp. <laughs> I knew I lost you. Uh, so does it say like – did it break it down into age groups? Um, no, not that I found. It's interesting. But... It would be directed towards energy because energy is – it seems like a, a pivotal point of happiness because mm-hmm. it gives you the ability to sustain it, to keep the balls up in the air, to not die yeah. To not be frustrated. Um, it does say that though when, once you have children, so mothers especially, yeah. they say that right after you have the child, that your prevention motivation is oh, so high yeah. that you really can't focus on it. When you're trying else. to preserve what you've got. Yeah. Yeah. See, that's, fellas, uh, that's why it's good to not try to have much. Much as far as stuff? Mm-hmm. The more you have, the more you have to preserve. That's true. Which have less. then takes your energy. The more stuff you own, the more stuff owns you. Well, hold on. Now we're back during Eastern tradition, which says you shouldn't try to accumulate a lot of things in life. The, the fewer things you have in life, the more free and at peace you really would be. You shouldn't identify yourself with things. And See? here we've come full circle. Isn't that weird? Yeah. The source of happiness. And that's, that's absolutely accurate. My stuff, I am paranoid about oh, yeah. little kids messing with it. Because little kids break everything. That's, I think that's just true. Well, that's no matter their what, job. That's what, they're, that's what they're there for, totally. to break things. I remember playing at a friend's house right after school because my mom, single mom, was working. They sent me to a, a babysitter. I had about an hour before the babysitter's son would get home from school. So I would go in his room and break his toys. <laughs> he wasn't there to break them. It was no. your job. <laughs> and I don't remember meaning to break them, but I did. Could I tell you like a terrifying story? I went out to the playground one day. Me and my buddy Matthew, we were goofing around on the playground. And this kid is playing around. And I guess this kid had a birth defect where on one of his arms, like from the forearm down, he didn't. Nothing grew there. So, but he was playing around with a sword that was bent. And I was like, hey – Kid, your sword is bent. You want me to bend that back for you? Me being a big seven-year-old ready to help out the kid who only had one hand. And so I was like, here, let me help you. And I went to go fix it. Totally snapped it in half. No way. Totally snapped it in half. You snapped the little boy without an arm sword? (laughs) Yes. I was trying to be helpful. And that was the moment I realized I was like, I'm just going to go home. Nope, done with this. I'm leaving. Wow. You turned it into something more dangerous, which makes it more cool. (laughs) Yeah, but that's just it's all sad, how you sell it right? to a seven-year-old. Yeah. If that kid ever finds me, I think I'll just like cry and buy him dinner. That sounds ever like a super me. villain backstory, right? It does. It does. <laughs> that is so sad. <laughs> I feel bad for this boy. Let's go. Let's I mean, go he was a champ. He was a champ. He didn't like freak out or cry or anything. Like most kids, would just well, be he like, thought that you were just trying to help. Maybe I don't know, but he just like his first reaction wasn't like. 
yeah. you're an awful person. I think he was just as shocked as I was. My, my kid <laughs> thought I was awful for breaking his, his toys. I, I actually broke them and then I hid them. <laughs> I hid them. Actually, I put them in the, the, the heater vent. And then just I lifted up the the thing, just shoved it in. And then he came home. He's like, "Hey, where's my little stop sign for my Matchbox car?" I don't know. Happiness is where ignoring did you put it last? everything you don't like. <laughs> it's interesting, but so happiness is this search, and is it uh, is the search to find the peace or the less or the health? Is it a selfish endeavor or not? Now, you apparently, Madison, have put together a list. <laughs> did I call you Madison? Uh, yes, yes, you did. Yeah, gosh, that that isn't on my Hold list. On. Of That's sad because Merritt's been gone. Mer- Merritt or Madison? Wow. Madison's been gone. We're doing very well. What's very well? Okay, I got to get Madison out of my head here. Okay, Merritt, <laughs> a list: twenty-two things people do differently. A, they call people by different names. What is this list? This is a list of twenty-two things happy people do differently. Happy people? Do they remember people's names? I would assume so. Doubt it. But mm. certainly unhappy people <laughs> well, don't see, see, remember ready? people's names. <laughs> Number two is treat everyone with kindness. Oh, so that, that was yeah, rude. That was yeah. totally rude. That was rude. Sky made me do it. <laughs> it's because we were talking about broken toys. Brings up a bad past. Ah. Uh, happy people, what else do they do? Um, they dream big. That's one. Do they really? Yeah. You'd think a happy person would dream realistic. I don't think so. Dream big. My philosophy on that has always been you you will probably always fall the same amount from your dreams. So if you just like if you reach for the stars, yeah. you're fall to the moon instead of you reach Yeah a story up you're gonna you should be reaching <laughs> for the star. That's yeah, I don't think that was the metaphor. Was that the way it works? That's no no it's the You reach for the sun. It, it's you no no, no, you no drag no. your feet in the trees. What? No, you reach for the moon, you <laughs> drag your feet in the trees. <laughs> That's the quote. I'm pretty no, sure. no, it's, it's no, shoot it for the stars. Even if you miss, you'll land on the moon. I think that's what the quote is. Yeah, yeah I don't think it's that one. Uh, I think you shoot for Vegas and you end up in Reno. See, that's not better. That I think that's so worse. So miserable. Hmm. Having think- lived in Vegas and been through Reno, no, <laughs> I spent a week Reno's there a fine place, but it is not Vegas. Okay, give us one more, and then we're going to wrap it up. One more. Yeah, Michelle. Just give us one more, Shirley. <laughs> well, number 12 is choose friends wisely. Whoa, that's a good one, Veronica. That's good. Really? Give us another one. Let's look in on a real big one. Hmm. Come on, Stacy. Number 20 is tell the truth. To honest people or happy people tell the truth. Yeah. That's a good one. Well, also happy people see problems as challenges. So I'm now taking this upon myself to remember Good. To make you remember my name. I appreciate it, okay. Ginger. Who's Ginger? Oh, no, that's you. Sorry, Skyboy. <laughs> Holy cow, we've offended two in the room. He's like, oh, I meant the name, not the slightly yeah, derogatory term. I was talking about the hair color. Let's go to commercial. This is getting ugly. We're going to come back, talk about happiness. Is it a selfish thing? Is it a selfless thing? Merit. Merit. That's your name. Yeah. I knew it the whole time. I got to be careful what I eat before I come to the show. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We are happy, and we're going to uncover how to create more happiness in maybe a selfless way. Maybe not. We'll see right after this break, right here on BYU Radio. 
Advanced robot designs compete for a cool $2 million in the latest DARPA challenge. This is Innovation Now, bringing you stories behind the ideas that shape our future. The Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, called DARPA, conducts and supports all manner of cutting-edge innovation, not only for defense fields, but for civilian-related technology as well. Their previous robotic car challenge catapulted that technology many years forward. Now comes the next robotics challenge, with $2 million as the prize. Robotic hardware will have to negotiate an obstacle course, simulating a disaster scene at a refinery or power plant, going where humans can't, while using tools and vehicles originally designed for people. The bots must drive a jeep through the site, negotiating rubble, stairs, and ladders, using a tool to cut through an obstacle and hook up a cable or hose. Many of the designs being entered are humanoid-shaped. To make these tasks easier, DARPA is loaning some pre-built chassis and software for those teams needing some help. A parallel competition will run for virtual model robots to push the state-of-the-art in robot programming so those who can't bring hardware to the challenge are bringing their best programming skills. The challenge kicked off last fall and runs through December 2014. For Innovation Now, this is Buddy Rubino. Innovation Now is produced by the National Institute of Aerospace through collaboration with NASA and is distributed by WHRV. Visit us online at innovationnow.us. On Thinking Aloud, we talk with the most influential, inspiring, and educated minds about the ideas and theories behind their work. A tailor is an artist. Someday I hope to have uh, a tailor come into the Leonardo Museum where I now work and do a residency as, a, as an artist because the, the conceptualization of a suit is fabulous. Join us for the uplifting discussion on Thinking Aloud, weekdays at 6.30 p.m. Eastern here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, joined here by Bruce Wayne, also Bryce Tobin. How are you, Brycey? Doing great. I love it when my name gets confused. In fact... I'm having a hard time with names today. In fact, phones autocorrect my name to Bruce all the time. So, Do they really? Yeah, so actually people have started calling me Bruce, and they think it's funny. I don't think it's funny, but really? whatever. That is sad. It's not that bad. Hey, um, so you have an issue with the self... I guess, is it self selfishness I, equals happy? I just have a problem with extremes. I just, I don't like extremes. I don't think they're really useful. I think they only cause problems. Hmm. You think, uh... Look, I don't want you to take this the wrong way, but I'm about to rant. This is The Bryce is Right. I find it interesting how selflessness is put on a pedestal and selfishness is so often vilified. But if there's anything I've learned in life, it's that extremes are unwise and the key is moderation. But let's set up some hypothetical extremes to make that point. Imagine the ultimate selfish person. No matter what they do, they have to benefit most from it. So as a kid, everything is a negotiation. Parents want the kid to stop crying, time to make a deal. And as with all business partnerships, continuous deals must escalate to keep at least one party interested. In school, this kid will be the worst in group projects. They'll either do everything and throw the partners under the bus, or do nothing at all. Regardless, they'll be a pill to deal with. Or you know when there's some shindig with free food? Everyone gets up and gets in line to get the food, but there's 
that person who breaks all the rules. They get too much of everything, especially the favorite dish. For example, if it's a breakfast event, this is the person that takes six to eight strips of bacon instead of the designated two. And once they're done with their plate, they hop back in line for seconds instead of waiting for everyone else to finish their first serving. On the highway, this person never lets anyone switch lanes around them. Every stoplight is the start of a new race to beat the rest of the cars around them to the next light. In relationships, it's all about what they want. The kiss at the end of the date that's supposed to be a 90-10 affair, it's an aggressive 100% from this person. I can't imagine a reason why this person would have children, but if by some strange set of circumstances this does happen, get ready for an impoverished childhood that does just enough to keep Child Protective Services off their back. Eventually, this take-and-take approach to everything will land this person in a lonely life where people only show up as bags of resources that either get used up or disappear. The constant stress and loneliness will almost certainly reduce this person's lifespan, making for a functional but unimpressive life. And really, they're a bit sociopathic. But then there's the completely selfless person. Their rule is simple. They have to benefit the least in every action that they take. This person is a paragon of charity. So much so that just about everything they do is to their own detriment. This person can never make a living. All of their work has to be volunteer work. They always give outrageous tips from the money that they don't have. They are the giver in a relationship and does everything for the significant people in their world. They ask nothing of others. But even in their insignificant relationships, everyone can figure out pretty quick that they can get anything and everything from this person without any protest. So real quick, this person ends up being used and taken advantage of. If this person miraculously lives past the age of 10, the only feasible way in which they could survive beyond that age would be by living in complete and total isolation. Because if there's no one to help and no one to ask for things, this person could finally live their life. But what's the point of a selfless life if it's one lived in total isolation? So, like I said, extremes are no good. Moderation is the key here. Make sure your selfless acts outweigh your selfish ones, and you're probably doing pretty good. The selfless life is certainly a better life lived, but only if it's done in moderation. No matter how selfless they may be, there's little charity that the lifeless can effectively perform. All right, I'm out. And remember, don't forget to be awesome. Wow, you did it again. Did you notice that Skyboy cut me off before that? I did. And you know, when you think about it, I think that's the first time that that's happened. I don't. But <laughs> I'm pretty sure it was extreme. Uh, it was. You don't like extremes. I don't find them to be useful. But like self, see, somebody that's selfless wouldn't really play the martyr. But that's just it. The totally selfless person has to be. The person who is kind of selfless mm. isn't the martyr. So maybe the words we use aren't really right. Huh. Absolutely. That's incredible. I, um, you're telling us to be moderate. Uh, yeah. If, you, uh, if you're selfless when it doesn't, uh, or sorry, when you're selfish, when it's not really crucial, you can be selfless when it is. Hmm. You ought to be a poet. No, I, we've been over this. I can't do poetry. It bothers me. That's true. That's right. You I like it's, to rhyme. I like structure. Did you hear my rhymes at the beginning? <laughs> I was there for that. Those were huge. Um, I'm, so, so maybe what we're really saying is um, happiness is in the middle. Well, I don't know about – maybe it's in the middle. I don't. Where's the balance between the two? I don't know. Sometimes it's selfish. Sometimes it's selfless. But I don't think it's like selflessness is – is how you're happy. I don't think that's the case because you know what? There's some Saturdays that I don't really leave the house until, well, not even the whole day. I'll just stay home all day. And you know what? Sometimes those are wonderful Saturdays. Well, yeah, but you're not married with kids. True. That would be a big problem. That would be. (laughs) 
<laughs> if you never left the house, you know, eventually the kids are going to start to be mad that why don't you ever leave? In fact, I had a client just ask her husband, are you out of town this week? And he's like, no. And she's like, <laughs> that's what a spouse wants to hear. Not weird. She was like, we need some, we need a break from you this week. Yeah. If you're saying that, I'm going to say you're having, you're having a little bit of too much selfish days. The fish is in the water, folks. Uh, we're going to come back and take a, and talk about this, um, the happiness factor. Where do we find it? If we don't find it in the extremes, uh, where on earth do we find it? We're going to be bringing on an expert, big, big league expert to talk about it, somebody who actually uh, trains and teaches at Google and all over, National Science Foundation. She's spoken. She's uh, been speaking to the U.S. congressional hearings as well about psychology of health and well-being of institutions. We're bringing her on after this break to the Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio. Get recharged at BYU Education Week. It is the best decision I make coming back year after year. I will not be the same. Education Week classes run from August 19th to the 23rd. To register, visit us online at educationweek.byu.edu. I would encourage everybody to come, and you'll not regret it. BYU Education Week, a thousand ways to renew, refresh, recharge. This is Sam McCall for BYU Radio News. While one of Ariel Castro's victims looked on, the Cleveland man's home where he held captive three women for over a decade was demolished today. The demolition comes just under a week after Castro was sentenced to life in prison. A planned visit to Russia by President Obama for a summit with President Vladimir Putin has been canceled amid tension over Russian authorities' decision to grant NSA leaker Edward Snowden asylum from the U.S. Tensions are also high over Russian support for Syrian President Bashir Assad. Accused Fort Hood shooter Major Nadal Hassan wants to be sentenced to death, according to a lawyer on Hassan's standby legal team. He told the court yesterday evidence will show he is the shooter who killed 13 and wounded dozens more in the 2009 attack. A U.S. Airways flight had to make an emergency landing in Philadelphia today after authorities learned of an unspecified threat. Police officials screened the plane, passengers and luggage, but thankfully did not find anything. Riders on the end train of New York City's subway system found a small dead shark riding along with them late last night, but so far no one's been able to explain how the fish got there. MTA officials disposed of the deceased sea creature when the train reached the end of its line. In world news, political turmoil in Egypt is entering a new phase as international mediation collapses. Army-installed officials and Muslim Brotherhood leaders are once again calling their supporters into the streets, with military leaders reviving threats to take action against supporters of former President Mohamed Morsi. The company responsible for the train which exploded last month in Quebec, killing 47, is filing for bankruptcy. Nearly 150-year-old Montreal, Maine and Atlantic Railway filed for Chapter 11 protection today, facing over $10 million in debt. That's the news to half past the hour. For BYU Radio, I'm Sam McCall. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. We're slowly trying to get our act together. Today was just a weird day. 
You know, I don't know what it is. Something in the water. But uh, we're going to figure it out and figure out how to uh, find happiness. We've got the expert, okay? You can't get more credentialed and more uh, experience on the subject, I think, than our next guest, Emma Seppala, Ph.D. She is um, really, she's the Associate Director of the Center for Compassion and Altruism Research and Education at Stanford University. She obtained a B.A. from Yale, a master's degree from Columbia University, and a Ph.D. in psychology from Stanford University. She is the recipient of the James W. Lyons Award, awarded by Stanford University for service to the Stanford campus. She's a very popular um, writer and blogger on Psychology Today. She's also a contributor to Scientific American Mind, The Huffington Post, Mindful and Spirituality and Health magazines. And she gives talks. She has a TEDx talk you got to go check out. Um, and and uh, she gives talks to other organizations like Google, National Science Foundation, and the U.S. Congressional Hearings. Emma, Dr. Emma Seppala, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Thank you, Matt. Happy to be here. That was quite a little resume. <laughs> That's what's amazing. Uh, this this blow it blew my mind a little bit here, uh, Emma, because I'm sitting here. We're talking about happiness, which seems to be such a squishy topic. You, you know, oh, happy, blah blah blah. But it's a, it's a real it's a real study. I mean, it's a real focus for you, and even businesses that you've talked to and Stanford University. This isn't something to just assume we understand, is it? It's definitely um, a field of research that's um, that's gaining a lot in uh, in terms of, of new findings. Um, until now, or until recently, most people were studying things like anxiety, depression, um, mental distress. But there's been an increasing interest in human flourishing and what really makes us happy, fulfilled, um, which is wonderful. Human flourishing, that's a great way to put it. Like, are, are, we go, are we thriving? Are we succeeding? I mean, I know that's a, that's a huge kind of issue in business. I mean, there is a correlation, right, between business success, company success, and their, their employees flourishing. Well, yes, actually the data is starting to show that if employees are happy and if leaders are inspiring um, and really take care of their employees, uh, there's greater loyalty, greater customer service, greater well-being. Um, so actually, when you start with employee well-being, the results are fantastic for the bottom line as well. Which is, I guess, now that'll mainstream it where companies will start to say, okay, yeah, we got to focus on, on human flourishing. Um is it, I guess what you're also saying, though, is it's, it's really, is happiness, it sounds like, it might be more of an endeavor socially than it is even just privately, personally. Is that, is that, the, is that true? Is it a well, social think... interaction? What, what is it? I mean, is it, is it our relationships or is it me with myself? Is it my space? What is it that brings happiness? Well, I would say it's a combination of both. I mean, one thing we know about social connection is that it's absolutely essential from the time that we're born. We are social creatures. We need to feel warm connections, affectionate connections with others. Uh, infants that don't have that don't grow up to be developmentally, um, to develop uh, appropriately. Um, adults and adolescents all uh, need that connection, and you can see the impact of it. So an interesting finding um, is that 
when you have low social connection, it's worse for your health um, than obesity, than smoking or high blood pressure. And wow. I often think about, you know, taking care of our, our health by going to the gym, etc. But um, actually, it would be more important to take care of our feeling of connection to others. And the nice thing about that is um, it doesn't have to do with how many friends you have on Facebook. So I often get introverts or... Um, uh, you know, shy people emailing me and saying, what does this mean about me? Absolutely nothing, because the benefits of social connection come from your subjective feeling of connection to others. So your personal sense of belongingness with the people around you, whether or not they're your close friends. So you've heard the term loneliness in a crowd. Similarly, you know, you can have just, just one friend, but if you go out there in the world and you feel connected to others, you get the benefits. And, you know, going back to your question how do you feel more connected to others? Um, in a lot of cases, it also means taking care of yourself. So if you take good care of yourself um, and, and, and you feel uh, more positively, um, more positive, you're also automatically going to feel more connected to others. So it's a combination of happiness and well-being or a combination of, of good self-care, uh, which is sometimes done privately. For some people, they need to be more in silence. Other people may need to meditate, go to the gym, get enough sleep, etc. Yeah. Um, but also socially, in, in our connection, in our affectionate interactions with others, that's one thing, our, our personal relationships, but also in um, the amount of service uh, we do in the world. So our research is showing that, you know, if we are engaged in more altruistic kind of um, behaviors, not only are we happier, but our health is better, we recover from disease faster, and we live longer. Wow. Uh, so that spirit of service, it, it not only makes us happy, we know that when we go out and do something for others, we feel happier than if we went and, and bought something for ourselves. There's research on that. In one study, participants were told to either spend money on themselves or on someone else, and guess who was happier at the <laughs> end? It was, you know, the ones who'd spent money on others. So we know that for a fact. So, um, you know, the... A lot of marketing experts out there want us to think that happiness is in purchasing their product. Oh, sure. Um, but actually, it's really in, 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 in relationship to others and also in altruistic um, interactions with others. It's kind of, it's, I guess, a lot of this, um, you, you, kind of, you mentioned three, self-care, you know, some type of social interaction and affection and, um, and service. I guess mm-hmm. some of this is, I mean, we need we need enough reserves to to take care of all of these other things we want to do. We need to have enough yeah. health to do it all. That's the self care, I guess. But then there's something you're really getting to that says when we when our arrows are pointed outward, we tend to grow happiness a, a little bit different than when our arrows are pointed inward. That I gave an example at the beginning of the show that I'm not sure you were able to hear about a client of mine who was just decided he's not happy anymore. And, um, I mean, it's taken years, but he's, you know, he found a new friend and he's leaving his wife and his children, but he's doing it to go be happy. And his justification is this will make him happier. He's not necessarily getting into more service. He's not necessarily even taking better care of himself per se. Um, but he calls it happiness. So it's almost like in this, this world, we, we use this phrase happiness as a as a way to to kind of avoid some of the hard things of life the responsibility talk about that for a minute how how do we not how do we not just use it to scapegoat everything else i mean like you even mentioned compassion and and mm-hmm. compassion breeds happiness not just not just self fulfillment 
Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Um, I think that, you know, everyone makes their own personal choices, and, and certainly a relationship can bring happiness and, and great happiness. Uh, it certainly shouldn't be a an excuse to avoid a responsibility, but I think everyone everyone's life is different, and it's hard to make any kind of judgments. Um, but one thing for sure that I didn't mention before, and I think it's part of the self-care, is, is cultivating perspective and wisdom. And, um, and, and for example, uh, some of the things we know from, from psychological research is that our mind tends to cling to the negative. So, um, you know, 80% of things that are going on every day in our life tend to be positive, um, but, and maybe 20 or 10 percent or not, but we tend to focus on those things. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, that can give us a skewed perspective. And for example, I, I often think about times when, you know, you're having a rough day, you think everything's going wrong and somebody calls you and says, Hey, can you help me? And they're having a much tougher problem. And when you talk to them, you realize, Oh my gosh, first of all, you're helping them. You feel empowered. You feel stronger. You gain perspective on your situation. Um, and you realize that what you're going through is not really that hard. So, um, cultivating perspective is something very important in making any kinds of decisions about what you're going to do with your life. And uh, my work with veterans has been really insightful for that. They call, um, after coming back from combat, they call our problems first world problems. Yeah. You know, oh, my car broke down. I don't get along with my boss. Those are not really problems. They're first world problems. <laughs> <laughs> and they have this perspective having seen life and death. Um, so I think that's really interesting. That is powerful. And one of yeah, and one of the ways to combat that is gratitude. And research has shown that gratitude is a huge booster for well-being. In one study with um, depression, uh, with people who are suffering from acute depression, just writing down three things they felt grateful for every day had a greater impact than the um, the um, the drugs that were given to the other really? experimental group. Yeah, so really what I think gratitude do is, again, it, remi- it does is it reminds you, oh, yeah, there's so much going right for me, and it's just a question of where I'm focusing my attention. It seems like in this in this world, this day and age, where you know social media is so huge, we have seemingly so many tools to be able to connect socially that we we would have an advantage socially if 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 connectivity is one of the goals of um, or not one of the goals, but one of the benefits that that might drive or drivers of happiness. Is is the modern world affecting us positively in our happiness and social connecting, or is it, or is it an inverse relationship? I think it depends. Uh, so, for example, there's because of my uh, work with veterans, I follow a number of military um, and veteran websites. One of which is um, a humor website, and they always put you know funny military kind of jokes up and one night i saw oh it says it said all jokes aside there's a man there's a um battle in distress which means there's a there's a veteran out there somewhere uh in you know near dc who um his friend just called me and he is in danger of killing himself he's got a gun he's in an apartment we don't know where he is and his phone is off what should we do and Mm. through that whole night there were hundreds and hundreds of veterans and supporters of veterans who were commenting on that post people were getting in their cars driving in the direction of where this person might be and by the end of the night they had located him contacted his commander. His commander had come to the door and found him, though he was in a huge apartment complex with his phone off. Somehow they located him, and his life was saved. Wow. And, um, it, and I heard he then called in to this and, and, and left a message thanking them, and, and I heard that message, and it's so moving. So the ability to connect and generate altruistic 
um, uh, actions on social media is tremendous. Yeah. And I think for a lot of people who suffer from loneliness, it's amazing. On the other hand, we have to have that balance. If all of our attention is always directed outward, always involved in technology, uh, it can also be draining, and it can also prevent us from having real authentic relationships. So a balance is needed, and I think especially now, uh, we're still learning about how to interact with technology in a wise way, in a way that's balanced. Yeah, it's almost like we don't we 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 see some of its benefits, and then a lot of us see just some a lot of its negative uh, components. But really, it's it is it kind of goes back to the idea of of balancing it is um and i guess in the end one thing we're i guess what i really want to get into when we when we take a break and come back is some of the power of compassion um it seems like when especially when it comes to even our social relationships and even self compassion being able to kind of I don't know, show a different kind of a, of care for yourself emotionally and, and let some things go. I'd love to have you uh, to talk about that. We're talking right now with Emma Seppala, Ph.D. She uh, has a website you really need to go check out, uh, com. Emma Seppala. She's teaching us about happiness and uh, the ties it has to our social connections, to our compassion. And um, I think she's opened up some minds here. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We're going to take a break. Come on back with us right here on BYU Radio. A breakthrough in reading brain signals leads to prosthetic limbs that work based on your thoughts. This is Innovation Now. Bringing you stories behind the ideas that shape our future. By changing how we think about how the brain operates the body, Dr. Andrew Schwartz may have cracked the code on controlling artificial limbs with very natural control and precision. A typical prosthetic arm is controlled by whatever muscles and nerve pathways the patient can still use. By flexing living muscles in the shoulder, the user can activate sensitive switches in a powered arm and hand. That's a tough process to master, retraining another set of muscles to do an unrelated job, and it can't help someone with more profound nerve damage or spinal injuries. Dr. Schwartz and a team at Johns Hopkins are pioneering a better method for limb control by tapping directly into the brain with a grid of 192 cranial probes that read the shape of a motor control impulse. Think about grabbing a cup. A computer sees the characteristic impulse and translates that thought into smooth arm motions. The paralyzed test patient was able to high-five her doctors within a day of being connected, and her progress has been incredibly rapid since. Brain control may someday become routine for physical rehabilitation, using limbs driven directly by thoughts. For Innovation Now, this is Buddy Rubino. Innovation Now is produced by the National Institute of Aerospace through collaboration with NASA and is distributed by WHRV. Visit us online at innovationnow.us. Have your team join ours and become a sponsor of Cougar Sports on BYU Radio and BYU TV. For details, call 801-422-1448 or email corporate support at byu.edu. Go Cougars! Get to know your world a little bit better. Listen to experts on a plethora of topics, share unique insights on their fields of expertise and on life in general. Thinking Aloud, right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio.
Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Today, we're talking with Dr. Emma Seppala, who's the Associate Director of the Center for Compassion and Altruism Research and Education at Stanford University. And uh, Dr. Seppala is, she's a noted uh, writer, author. Um, she, she's a popular blogger on Psychology Today. She's a contributor to Scientific American Mind, the Huffington Post, Mindful and Spirituality and Health Magazines. She really is just a wonderful resource on on a bunch of different topics. But but one area that is amazing is is the science of happiness, health, and social connection. You really need to go check out her website, emmaseppala.com. Uh, welcome back, Dr. Seppala. So appreciate you being with us. Thank you, Matt. And as we as we talk about this, so really there's a there's a, a foundational idea it seems like that kind of runs that that runs through a lot of your your um the stuff we've been talking about and your ideas we it's this sense of um our being with other people um or and compassion talk a little bit about compassion and and you know its connection to just a healthy person and happiness well, compassion is actually one of our most natural instincts. Um, even children that are infants, too young to have learned the rules of politeness, will go out of their way to help another uh, person who needs help. Um, animals, same thing. For example, rats. We don't really have a ton of respect for rats, but a rat will go out of its way to help another rat that's suffering. Same thing with primates. Um, these studies show that just instinctually we are wired to help other people who are suffering or in pain. Um, and um, and there's, you know, the fact that compassion is so good for our psychological and physical health um, suggests that yes, evolutionarily speaking, we uh, we are wired to to help one another. And there's this, this sense out there that you know we're all selfish, etc. But the truth is, if we were, we probably wouldn't be alive today. There are more action, the more kind acts that are the kind acts are really the reason that we're alive. Um, and some of the research shows, um, you know, that compassion makes us happy. So. Um, in brain imaging studies where people either see, uh, you know, are told that they're getting money deposited into uh-huh. their account or yeah. that money is going to a charity, um, there's the same amount of activation in the pleasure centers in our brain. Um, similarly, I, I mentioned this earlier, but when you give money to others, you feel happier than when you spend that same money on yourself. Um, and this is true even in, in infants. So the same kind of study was done in infants where they were given little cookies and were told to were either had them for themselves or gave them to someone else who was hungry and um, they expressed greater well-being uh, when they were giving it away. Um, the other thing that compassion does, which might lead to increased well-being, is that um, it it by focusing on others, it also increases, it decreases our stress and anxiety. So anxiety and depression are states that are linked to a lot of self-focus. Okay. Um, a focus, focus on ourselves. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, no. evolutionarily, if you were running away from a tiger in the jungle, it's probably a good idea to yeah. be self-focused. Run! However, you know, if you're chronically stressed and that leads to self-focus, you know, you... It, it, you're not able to connect so well with others, but as soon as you you connect with someone else and um, take care of them, your your self focus decreases, your other focus is increases, and your perspective and well being um, also increase. Um, another reason why people, you know, 
think that it might be evolutionarily adapted is that uh, compassion actually makes you attractive. Really? So, um, in a, yeah, it's the, the trait most highly valued as a, in potential romantic partners for both men and women. Wow. Um, so um, we, uh, it's just a really high value for It's all, interesting because you would think we'd be, you know, they would most value would be like a six pack. Um, but in reality, you're saying it's, but I guess it's this kinder sense that you'll be compassionate to how you interpret me, to how we communicate. You'll give me the benefit of the doubt. It's, it's relationships. It's kind of, I guess, the foundation of relating. It is the foundation of relating. Yeah. And it's relating, uh, at the most core level where it's, it's more, uh, about me helping you, me serving you. It's me outside of me. Yes, and that has a really profound impact on our psyche. You know, we can think of compassion as this spiritual, woo-woo kind of thing, but it's so profound. So I uh, just invite you um, to think about a time when you saw someone being helped by someone else, um, and maybe you were moved. Can you think of a time like that? Um, yeah, yeah, I actually can. Think- and and that state is um, something that psychologists call elevation. Uh, you can be moved to tears. Um, you know, there are a lot of YouTube videos going around where you know someone's doing something really beautiful for someone else. Yeah. And why why is this? Why do those videos go viral? They move us. They create elevation in us. It's a very um, very pleasant feeling. And what research is showing is that when you feel elevation, you're more likely to go out and help others in a kind of a chain reaction of goodness. Um, and you know, I think. It's, it's because it's such a moving state, um, and it touches it us so profoundly that it's, uh, it's a very human, uh, or I, I don't want to say human because we observe it in animals as well, but um, it's just a very profound and beautiful state. And uh, social scientists uh, James Fowler and Nicholas Christakis at Harvard um, have shown that you know, when, when one person acts fairly, it has a repercussion up to three degrees of separation away. Really? So, um, if yeah, so if you observe someone, or you do a kind act, the people observing you are more likely to do that, and the people who they are connected to are then also more likely to be kind. So a lot of times we think, oh, what difference can I make? I'm just one person among all these millions of people. Um, but actually it's huge because uh, one person impacts everyone around them in concentric circles. They don't even know the ripple effects and where it will lead. So, it's almost um, It's almost like it's contagious it's this and i guess yeah. that is part of this mirroring ability of humans i guess that if i see compassion i can feel compassion and then and then i guess it motivates me to be more compassionate is that the idea yeah and you know, and i think you know why why do people like mother teresa gandhi martin luther king live on yeah. why are we still putting their quotes up on our facebook why are we there are many many leaders that have led people but but it's those leaders that have been profoundly motivated by compassion and kindness that live on. They had followers who did not get paid, who didn't want to get paid, who didn't care about anything, who went through hardship to follow them and to, uh, because they were inspired by them. And what were they inspired by? By this profound compassion. So a lot of people think compassion is this soft thing. It's not. It's incredibly courageous. It's incredibly powerful. And who would think and, it was so uh, academically supported? I mean, but it, yeah, it's it funny. We know it's spiritually supported, and we know it's something that mm-hmm. you know we aspire to. But to know that that it is, it does have this contagion kind of effect to it. It's powerful. We already knew that, I guess, huh? All you got to do is watch <laughs> a baby be born, being born, or you need to watch a mother uh, with her child, or somebody who's you know dancing with their daughter at her wedding. 
You just you need to yeah. and and there's so many events in life, aren't there, that create this opportunity to feel compassion. There really are. Um, and I have a colleague, uh, Dan Martin, at the Cal State uh, East Bay University, who um, has created a compassion app, a mapping app uh, for his students. And um, you can literally go every time you see an act of compassion around you, you uh, kind of log in and, oh, um, and this map is being created. And it just, it just helps us train our awareness to look around and be like, oh, wow, there's a parent helping their child. Oh, wow, there's some somebody helping a stranger across the street. Like, there's so many beautiful actions around us that can inspire us every day. Again, it's where are we putting our attention and our focus? What, what, is, this what, is this kind of what you call survival of the kindest? What, what is that? Yeah, so that's, a coin, uh, that's coined by Dacker Keltner at UC Berkeley, one of um, my colleagues. And he was talking about Darwinian theory. So a lot of people think that Darwin uh, came up with survival of the fittest. Mm -hmm. uh, But that was actually not coined by him. Um, And that was coined by um, uh, someone who had a more kind of, uh, uh, he wanted to justify social hierarchies. Oh, okay. Um, and so, so we think that Darwin said that, but Darwin's uh, message, uh, as Dacker has pointed out, was more akin to survival of the kindest. Um, there's a quote um, by Darwin that says, really, we could not have really survived if it wasn't for um, people helping each other. And uh, Bob Sapolsky at Stanford University has shown that in, um, in um, he works with baboons in Africa, and he's seen that now, who's more likely to reproduce uh, in, a, in a tribe of baboons? It's uh, the nice guys, uh, <laughs> primarily because the alpha males are out fighting or hugging yeah. uh, food. Yeah, but pigs, also, yeah. Um, yeah, in, in one, of those, um, one of those tribes, um, the alpha males all died out because they ate um, intoxicated food. And so who was left was the nice guys. And, See, uh, the good guys and- win. Yeah, the good guys, but as the tribe became more cooperative and less hierarchical because they were—that was their um, their um, communication method. Yeah, um, the the tribe actually thrived much more. It's interesting over the long. You'd almost think it would be it would be that the um, the more aggressive one in the end wins out, but really, then you have fewer enemies when you're kinder, gentler. That's. Probably are really true as well. And you're yeah. probably also not you're, you're not taking advantage of as many people. I mean, it just seems like there's mm-hmm. just more potential for for a positive synergy. Man, interesting. Yeah. We're, we're I want to come back, Emma, Emma, and I want to get you into another area. I want you to start to give us. Um, I, know, I know you've got a ton of research on this, and I'd love to hear any research about what what are the things. And you've you've kind of hit on them, but let's kind of go through them one by one. What are the things that if you had to Really put your focus on it, and all of us, if we could just, for example, compassion. What are the things we could do to increase our compassion, to increase our social connectivity, and make it all richer? I'd love to hear some more solutions, some more tools for how we do this. We're talking with Dr. Emma Seppala, and uh, you can go to her website, emmaseppala.com, the science of happiness, health, and social connection. We'll be right back. This is The Matt Townsend Show on BYU Radio. KBYU-FM, HD2, Provo. Whether it's the big picture or the minute details, Marcus Smith loves to discuss anything and everything about the world around us. We're always talking about the big picture. The big picture is good to see. But I suspect that where we are lacking 
is in our capacity and our appetite to think about the smallest things. Start your day off with Marcus Smith on The Morning Show, weekdays at 7 a.m. Eastern, only on BYU Radio. This is Sam McCall for BYU Radio News. Detroit's emergency manager Kevin Orr said in an interview today he is confident the city can get through the largest ever municipal bankruptcy filing before the city has to borrow any more money to cover basic operating costs. A planned visit to Russia by President Obama for a summit with President Vladimir Putin has been canceled amid tension over Russian authorities' decision to grant NSA leaker Edward Snowden asylum from the U.S. Kremlin officials say they are disappointed by President Obama's decision. While one of Ariel Castro's victims looked on, the Cleveland man's home where he held captive three women for over a decade was demolished today. The demolition comes just under a week after Castro was sentenced to life in prison. Accused Fort Hood shooter Major Nadal Hassan wants to be sentenced to death, according to a lawyer on Hassan's standby legal team. He told the court yesterday evidence will show he is the shooter who killed 13 and wounded dozens more in the 2009 attack. Riders on the end train of New York City's subway system found a small dead shark riding along with them late last night. But so far, no one's been able to explain how the fish got there. MTA officials disposed of the deceased sea creature when the train reached the end of its line. In world news, international mediation in Egypt is collapsing, likely leading to a new tense phase for the nation. Army-installed government leaders are repeating threats to take action against supporters of former President Mohamed Morsi, and both sides are once again calling the public to demonstrate in the streets. The company responsible for the train which exploded last month in Quebec, killing 47 people, is filing for bankruptcy. Nearly 150-year-old Montreal, Maine and Atlantic Railway filed for Chapter 11 protection today, facing over $10 million in debt. That's the news to the top of the hour. For BYU Radio, I'm Sam McCall. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. We're talking happiness today, and what is the what you know? What's the equation? What is the science behind happiness? Emma Seppala is joining us, PhD. You got to go to her website, Emma Seppala, S E P P A L A dot com. Uh, she's a PhD from Stanford University in psychology and currently is working at Stanford. She's the associate director of the Center for Compassion and Altruism Research and Education at Stanford University. She's the recipient of the James W. Lyons Award, um, awarded by Stanford University for service to the Stanford campus, which is one of the things uh, we've been learning from Emma is the idea that, you know, we have to take care of ourselves, self-care, and then also our social connections are, are critical, essential, and then our service, This, uh, which might be a lot of what we talked about last uh, break. I mean, the last segment was about this compassion, the power of compassion, even maybe a little bit of the contagious effect that can take place with compassion. Um, so welcome back, Emma. I so appreciate what we're learning from you. Absolutely. Happy to be here. It's, um, again, happiness. We talked about this earlier. It sounds so squishy, but then when you get into your research, which, which again, I think is a big reason why people need to go to your website, because they can see the research articles, 
your blogs. You have so much stuff there. Your your some of your talks. Uh, Emma's been on on TED Talks, TEDx. If you've ever seen any of those um, wonderful talks, but help me with this. Um, and it's kind of what we were talking about in the show. It seems like is is happiness a selfish endeavor, or is happiness the, you know I guess the goal to reach happiness a selfish endeavor, or is it a selfless one? How how would you answer that? I would say that it's um, a very selfless one, actually. Um, so the research that I was talking about right before the break was that, you know, when you do an act of service, it has this ripple effect. Well, the same is true of happiness. When you're happier, your friend's brother's uh, cousin is happier. So when one person is happier, it impacts three degrees of separation away from them. And this has been shown um, by Nicholas Christakis at Harvard. And so... Um, I think that's very persuasive research right there. Um, Absolutely. And we know that, right? If we're around people that are stressed out, we feel stressed out. If we're oh, people yeah. around, around joyful people, they uplift us. It, so it really, in a weird way, making sure you're focused, I mean, that you're finding your own happiness, it's going to affect positively um, and impact the people around you. The ring, it's the, that's the drop in the, you know, in, the, in the water that these circles continue to go out around us. Um, what was the name of the author that, or the the researcher that that discovered that? Uh, Nicholas Christakis uh, at Harvard. I mean, that is just it's something his, we know. We know if colleague. mom's not happy, we know we're in trouble. If dad comes home angry, we know it's going to affect the night, the evening, right? Right. Absolutely, and you know we're we're much more connected, you know, than we think. So, um, if you smile at a stranger, even if that person doesn't smile back, you've activated the micro muscles in their face. Uh, we internally mirror each other. So, um, whenever you're doing an action, if I'm observing you, I'm internally doing the same thing. Hmm. So, th- that's the basis of empathy. That's why we cringe when we see someone falling on the street. We internally can feel that that must hurt. When someone smiles at us, it's a reason we smile back. Or you walk in the room and your loved one is not doing well, you can see it immediately within microseconds. You don't even need to ask because we mirror each other's facial expressions. We internally resonate what another person is feeling. That's the basis of empathy, of connection, of understanding. But it's also the way that emotions spread. So even positive emotions, if you're feeling good, you're going to be uplifting those around you. Mm. And what a responsibility, really. I mean, if, if we... If we were so aware um, and connected to those around us, I guess we would probably be more aware of the impact we're having. We would see that my happiness is begetting more happiness. I guess that takes us back to social connection. Right. Does, right. Absolutely. Is there um, – so when, when you think of like, okay, if there's three or four things that are just kind of must-dos, must-remember – to, to increase the likelihood that happiness is going to become a part of our life, what would you say those are? Well, I would say one of those things is to um, take care of yourself, and I think that's easier said than done, especially yeah. in the U.S. where we're in a culture of workaholism. Um, and, uh, and for a lot of people, we prioritize others uh, over self. But 
um, really uh, knowing what your body needs, what your mind needs, when it needs rest, when it needs food, etc., when it needs um, to meditate, when it needs to play. Um, again, play is sometimes something we forget about in uh, this very uh, hardworking culture of ours. Um, Talk about meditation. Yeah. I know you do a lot of yoga. I know that's a lot of um, what some of your even studies have been around. What What have you mm-hmm. learned about just that meditative the practice of yoga or other you know meditative practices? Well, meditation um, really allows us to rest on a very deep level. Um, that's from personal experience. It's really, uh, I found it tremendously beneficial. And a lot of people ask me how I get so much done, and I attribute it to uh, meditation. I'm able to rest my mind, and, and I'm therefore feel more creative. I feel better, and I'm able to... Um, to, to think more clearly. And, 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 um, but in terms of the research, meditation has been linked to increased immune function, probably because of decreased stress, decreased anxiety, decreased depression, um, decreased uh, uh, trauma, improved sleep, decreased pain even, mm. or um, an increased ability to deal with chronic pain. Um, and, you know, it's in the past, meditation would have been seen as this like kind of hippie thing to do, yeah. um, maybe like a Buddhist, Slash Eastern Eastern religion type of activity, but actually to me it's um, it's it's just a way of we rest our body at night and this is a way of resting our mind. There's nothing religious about it if you don't want there to be. Um, it's really just about settling the mind. And if you really think about it, the quality of our life depends on the state of our mind. So yeah. you could be in a beach on a beach in Hawaii, but if you're stressed out or pissed off, it doesn't matter that you're on a beach in Hawaii. Similarly, you, know, you could be. Um, you know, you could be in the dead of winter in Wisconsin uh, outside, but if you're in love and everything's groovy, it doesn't matter. It's perfect, right? right. So, um, you know, if you think about it, we really have a responsibility to take care of the state of our mind. And, uh, and meditation is one really important way of doing that. Um, another, um, another thing that I mentioned earlier is gratitude, cultivating gratitude, really counting your blessings. And when you do that, um, you, you get a, a fuller perspective on our lives. Most mm. of us, if we're living in a first world country, have more to be grateful for um, than to not. Than not. Um, and gratitude, like I mentioned earlier, really improves our well-being. And the third thing I would say is um, engage in service in some way. Stretch your comfort zone. Reach your hand out. We've all been. We all have different kinds of gifts and strengths, um, and we can use them to benefit others. Yeah, you don't um, need you know, to engage shy, in service, not to interrupt, but you don't need to engage in service to be exhausted. You, you, I mean, right. you, you, you need to know yourself, which I guess is going back to take care of yourself. Um, but if you know you can't handle or do certain things, then find another way to serve. There are, uh, there's a plethora of ways to, to serve and to give back to people. There are, and everyone has different talents. So I know some people who are techies, and they do they volunteer for nonprofits and do all their engineering and website work. You know, other people love kids, and they're working with kids. Um, other people, you know, it, we all have our different skills and abilities. So it doesn't have to be something like, oh my gosh, I don't think I have the ability to feed starving orphans in Somalia. You know, mm-hmm. you don't have to. Right. Um, you, it starts at home. It starts with the person next to you. It starts with the person at the grocery store who uh, maybe no one said anything to them at the checkout counter and just starting up a conversation, you know? Mm-hmm. What was your – did you have one more? You had cultivating gratitude, engaging in service, uh, taking care of yourself, and, and maybe a little bit – talk to us a little bit more about the social connection. And that social connection. So the, a feeling of, of connection and belongingness actually comes out of a state of well-being. Um, as I mentioned earlier, that feeling of connection to others is 
crucial for our physical and um, psychological health, but it actually comes naturally out of a state of well-being. So if you think about a day when you're feeling really stressed and you're walking down the street, you get really tunnel visioned. You know, your mom or friend could walk by, you might not notice. But on a day when everything's groovy and you're feeling really happy and you're just strolling down the street with a big smile, those are the days that you notice, oh my gosh, that person uh, needs me to keep the door open for them because they're carrying a heavy bag. Or, well, that person looks like they might need help with their baby stroller going down the stairs. Because Positive emotions um, widen our awareness and our attention uh, and and our sense of belongingness. So when we're stressed, we feel like, oh, my gosh, there's so much going on. I don't even have time to think about someone else. But when your well-being increases, you you do. You have those resources. At the same time, when you engage in service, you also realize that you have those resources. So I would say, you know, having a spirit of service, even in moments when you feel stressed, will help help Uh, you. Oh, I think so, too. It also seems to connect us back to this kind of deeper purpose we might have in life, this this more innate, I guess, need to connect or to be compassionate. Do, do you sense, um, because this, I guess, is an argument that you hear socially, so I'd, lo- I'd love to hear what a researcher actually feels about this. Do you sense that there is a difference in compassion between men and women? Um, it's funny because I was just asked that uh, in a Huffington Post um, show the other day, and um uh, you know, I really, I think we've been socialized a certain way. Uh, women have been socialized. We're, you know, we're allowed to be affectionate and warm and fuzzy, and compassion is often seen as a feminized term. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't think there is no evidence to show that there is a difference between men and women. Women, maybe biologically, um, we have, uh, we, both men and women have uh produce oxytocin, which is known to be a nurturing, it's called the cuddle or the love hormone. It's um, produced um, during lactation for women or when they give birth, right. but it's actually produced in both men and women, but there, there may be more, more biological kind of, uh, more oxytocin release in women um, in certain periods of their life. However, there's no evidence from brain imaging research that there would be a difference. And what I would say is I think it might take on a different kind of uh, look in men and women. So in, in, in women where it might take on a more nurturing, kind of affectionate um, appearance, men may uh, express compassion more through pragmatic, helping, protecting uh, kind of behaviors. And that may in part be due to socialization, yeah. I mean, if you think about it. Uh, how how boys and girls are raised. I mean, there's certain things that are allowed. Men are allowed to show things and certain feelings and certain um, uh, compassionate impulses only in certain ways. Um, and that's a socialization right. thing as well. It's powerful too. I mean, it's to know that compassion is just such a basic human instinct. Is it's actually comforting. It seems like to know that you have a world of people around you, whether they know you or not, that kind of instinctively will go to that level of compassion for you if there's an opportunity. That's That should Absolutely. be comforting, don't you think? Yeah, and one thing to remember, too, and this is research um, that's being conducted at Stanford Business School by Frank Flynn, is that most people are willing to help, uh, but when but they don't um, because others don't ask them, and they assume that if they're not asking them, they don't need it. So right. I also would say, you know, when you need help, go out, ask people. You're giving them an opportunity to do service, which will make them feel good, and they may not know you need help if you don't ask. Yeah, um, that's actually mm-hmm. that's some great advice. Uh, by going out asking for some more help, it, I, I've actually seen that's a great way to endear your partner to you is letting them help you. 
They want to. They don't know. They're waiting for you to ask. I shouldn't have to ask if you love me. Um, but in the end, just asking for help sometimes just creates that opportunity to serve. And then happiness can, can erupt. Yeah, exactly. Some, yeah, some people are like, oh, I don't want to ask for help. I feel like I'm going to impose. But you're giving that person the opportunity to do service. And it's yeah. their choice if they want to or not. But it's an opportunity. There's nothing wrong with that. Love it. Emma Seppala, Ph.D., thank you so much for joining us. Really, Thank you, Matt. you've been so enlightening, and I, I seriously suggest highly to, that you go to Emma, Emma's website, Emma Seppala, E-M-M-A-S-E-P-P-A-L-A, emmaseppala.com. Go check out her website, and on there, just articles galore. Watch her videos. She's got a lot to offer there on uh, everything you've been learning. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We're going to take a break, come back, uh, do a little bit of the news, maybe ask a few questions to, uh, you know, about from the internet. And then we're going to try to get back to Skyboy and figure out why he cut me off so abruptly earlier. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to it on BYU Radio. NASA tests advanced laser communication between spacecraft by using a famous lady's face. This is Innovation Now, bringing you stories behind the ideas that shape our future. With all the probes NASA has working in deep space, getting information radioed back is relatively slow. As the probes generate masses of data and images every day, that radio link, working at dial-up internet speed, is a gravel road jammed with data traffic. So, NASA is working on adding laser communication to future probes and satellites. With a laser, the data comes through faster, like a multi-lane superhighway. To test how well lasers can work for this job, NASA hacked their own lunar reconnaissance orbiter a probe circling the moon. The LRO's laser system was designed only for precision tracking of its location. NASA engineers used this beam instead to send an image of da Vinci's famous Mona Lisa painting to the spacecraft by interrupting the beam in a pattern of long and short bursts, zeros and ones. That digital pattern was stored and returned by radio from the LRO. What came back was a successful copy of the da Vinci painting still smiling. The experiment paves the way for future technology demonstrations that will pave the road to advanced laser communications in space. For Innovation Now, this is Buddy Rubino. Innovation Now is produced by the National Institute of Aerospace through collaboration with NASA and is distributed by WHRV. Visit us online at innovationnow.us. Where can they find it? They can find it on Twitter at BYU Radio. Scroll through there, you find that. I love it. Looking for more BYU Radio? Then follow us on Twitter for behind-the-scenes looks into our studio. Updates on our shows, exciting announcements, and constant discussion of Cougar sports. Plus, you can connect with our show hosts and guests. Just follow BYU Radio on Twitter and join the conversation. Talk about good. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. We've been talking about happiness, you know, how you get there. Interesting. Some funny words come in like compassion. So squishy. Compassion. But boy, what fascinating research that Emma Seppala just uh, gave us about compassion and the contagious effect of uh, seeing something, you know, that was really compassionate, how it impacts you even two or three generations away from you. You start to hand it down. See, that's, that's amazing. 
So if I turn Sky Boys, some of you don't even know it happened. I don't know how you wouldn't know. But I was trying to talk to Bryce to to introduce a segment that was coming on. And and Sky Boy just flat out threw me out of the park and just started playing this segment. And, you know, if I was a Devo, I would have gone off. If you were a Devo? Hold on. (laughs) If I was a reactor, I am a Devo. Devo. I went off. (laughs) I didn't go. I should have gone off because that would have taught you. So, usually when you talk to Bryce, you look at Bryce. Yeah. And then when you're ready for me to play the bit, you look at me. Yeah. And you looked directly at me. I think I was actually looking out the window. No, you were looking right at me. Really? Yeah. That's my job, Matt. I sit there and I wait for you to look at me. So I know when to push the button. That's my job. Okay, well, whatever. Um, (laughs) But you made a mistake. But. Whatever. Here's the deal. I feel good about you. Thanks. I think you're great. Thanks, Matt. I won't report it. Thanks. I'm sure Don's listening to it. Yeah. You don't have to report anything, really, that goes on radio because everyone can hear it. Oh. So. Really? Yeah. Well, that's nice. So it's kind of like been reported. (laughs) That saves the paperwork. (laughs) Um, No. So I'm just trying to show you compassion. I appreciate that. I care about you. I feel it. Okay. Don't care that you messed up the show. Which you didn't. You threw Bryce's timing off, though. Okay, uh, so I guess we're going to do a little bit of news headlines by the Colonel Sanders. Is that true? Yeah. Having a look at people who, you know, think about themselves a little bit. Selfish people. Selfishness in the news. Time magazine is creating waves. Cover story out in their new magazine says it's not selfish to choose not to have kids. Carefree adults, which means having no children, are not selfish. The author then justifying her position, saying she's not selfish because she takes care of her parents and she looks out for her friends. Visible signs that she and her husband are not selfish. But you know what? I think the article misses the point completely. Nobody was ever pointing at adults as being the selfish ones. You know who's really selfish? The kids! Those little babies, toddlers, and teens want food and shelter. They don't want to pay a dime for it. Another big headline out, evolution punishes the selfish. I think I figured this out. If we're to assume that Time Magazine is wrong and childless couples are selfish, then by not having children, they've taken themselves out of the gene pool, which is a form of natural selection, which means it's not evolutionarily advantageous for them not to have children because then their genes aren't passed on and therefore... Evolution punishes the selfish. But I'm oversimplifying because that's not what the article says. It gets in and talks about societal cooperation and the idea that organisms that work with other organisms have a better chance of surviving. And Oh, well, that settles that. Don't be selfish. Do you know your local library is proof that society is getting more selfish? Some academic guy somewhere went and looked at one and a half million American and British books published between 1800 and the year 2000. And he found the older books had words in it like obliged and give. And the new books have words like choose and get. Which conclusively proves society is more selfish than ever. I guess. Except for one flaw. Everybody's too busy watching TV to read. Yeah, maybe not TV. YouTube videos, for instance. Like this guy, he shot a video out of his window because he was tired of his neighbor parking his Jaguar crooked. You know what that's like when you live in an apartment complex and people just don't care. And then you come home and try to park and you can't fit your car because the other guy's crooked. Well, what happens if you decide to park anyway so the guy can't, you know, get in his car? 
And now that's what this video taker did. Photographic proof of what it's like to see a guy take five minutes to crawl from the passenger side into the driver's seat of his Jag. And funny enough, he started parking properly after that. You know what? I have tried this. In my case, I just ended up getting my car dented. So, buyer beware. Speaking of YouTube videos and buyer beware and selfishness, you see that video going around of a guy proposing to his girlfriend at a minor league ball game, and she says no and runs off. Who's the selfish one here? You could argue her for making a scene and embarrassing this guy by saying no. You could argue him that maybe he should have ran this by his girlfriend before he proposed to her in front of a crowd, making her feel awkward. Or now you can point your outrage at the ballpark itself because it turns out the entire video is staged. And it's approaching one million views on YouTube. So I guess while selfishness is not evolutionarily advantageous in real life, it is advantageous on YouTube. And that's a look at selfishness in the news. Excellent review, Colonel Sanders. By the way, just while we're on the subject of compassion, I'm sorry I hit your car with my door. I didn't know you lived in an apartment complex. I wasn't. I was just visiting. (laughs) And I dinged your door, and I didn't know that was yours. My bad. So sorry. Just trying to be more compassionate. You seeing it? You feeling it? Definitely feeling it. I'm feeling it. Okay, so uh, our own uh, Bryce. Is it Bryce? (laughs) Yes. That is uh, that is the name. Got a that, case of other Wednesday. The name my parents yeah. gave me is when Ma- I uh, is, showed uh, up. Is Marissa still here? Uh, no, she's left. <laughs> she left. Poor sure. Merritt. I'm sorry. Again, I need to apologize to Merritt. I need to apologize to Bryce. Apologize the- to Rob for denting his car. And to Skyboy, I apologize that um, I let you ruin that part of the show. Apology accepted. That yeah, felt good. Um, apologies all around. So, Bryce, you got a little question for us? Got some questions. Okay. Long story short, this guy has kind of been dating this this girl, and, and they've been going back and forth. They're yeah. finally together. Things seem good. Then he finds out previous boyfriend oh boy. is still kind of hanging around. Like, he's friends with the family, yeah. so he's still kind of in the picture. He also found out that this girl has uh, a chronic disease that's probably going to limit her lifespan. Wow. Uh, not severely, but it sounds like she's not going to make it past 50. Wow. Um, and so he, he's kind of gotten things together, and then his girlfriend sa- tells him that she doesn't really make – or that he does not really make her happy. He's wondering, is this a situation I should stick with? No. <laughs> Sounds like it's a mutually agreed upon train wreck. But she wants to stay together, but – Oh, she does. Oh, but, but, she, but he doesn't make her happy. But, yeah. But she's got her friend, and she may not live – Long. Which, which that's kind of a selfish thing, but at the same time, I understand. Yeah, it's I get it. He's not well, he's not in there permanently. Finds out she's not going to last very long. I don't know. Well, this and did, ethical dilemma. Did they get into the fact of why she's not happy with him? Uh, not really. She just kind of said it. Yeah, I I would just I guess if you're going to try to save it, go figure out if he wants to change whatever is not working, and if not, I'd move on. <laughs> There's longer living fish in the sea. There's a lot longer living fish in the sea because I would just be done. I'd get my angel wings. Okay, here's fly away. Here's another one. Okay, uh, this woman has been dating this guy for about three years. He's divorced. He has a kid. Things are going pretty well. Um, he's maintained that his previous relationship wasn't a very good one. Mm. It wasn't. He, he's he's everything has worked out better since uh, he divorced his ex-wife. Yeah. Uh, but now they've started talking, and he sort of admitted that he was pretty sure he could have been really happy with his ex, even though. 
he says things were awful with his ex. Yeah. So she feels like she's uh she's playing second best to his ex. His ex wife that she thought was pretty awful. Yeah. And that he says was pretty awful, but it seems like he wasn't quite as awful. So she's sitting in this situation. She's pretty sure this guy doesn't want to get married or have kids because last time he did that, oh, it that wasn't a, bad. It didn't go very well. Yeah. She's wondering, is this something I should stick with? Because this isn't making me very happy. Well, that's, you know, again, check that out. Well, I wouldn't. She's got a trust issue, right? He's telling all these stories. See, that's the neat thing about being a human. You can make anything be anything you want it to be. You can make the marriage that went bad great, or you can make it bad, or you're glad, or it's good. You just have to choose and source your data appropriately. Isn't the imagination a wonderful handicap? It's a wonderful handicap. So I would probably shoot through the data. I might even throw that out to him. Look, I've heard your ex was, you know, terror, spawn of the evil one. Or she was also, now I'm hearing, incredible. Can we just get clear which one she was? Can we decide whether she was any yeah. good? And how do you see me? And how do you see me fitting in your life? And is this going to work? I mean, part of this is communicating. That's a human trick that we do. And uh, and some of this is just, you know, life's hard, you guys. It's hard. Today was a hard show. I don't know why. I think it's because I called Miranda, you know, that wrong name. Seemed a bit rough around oh, the edges. Oh, I did it again. Sorry, Merit. <laughs> really. I really am sorry. Sincerely, I'm going to go apologize to that. Probably buy some Skittles for the gang. And uh, we're going to take a break. Actually, we're going to end it right here. Once (laughs) and for all, the Matt Townsend Show signing off today. We'll be back tomorrow, though, with more ideas, tools to give you a leg up in this crazy thing we call life. Thanks again. We'll be back. And uh, please listen to us right here on BYU Radio. 